Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? I have. back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 463 aka year nine week 39 uh coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and since this is your regularly scheduled saturday broadcast a uh, little late start today but we do this around 3 p.m eastern time on clubhouse uh, we were trying to get a special guest on and failed to navigate the challenges of installing Clubhouse on an iPhone. Um, but we gave it our best. Maybe another time we'll won't spoil it, won't bury it, and won't tell you who it is. We'll just keep it a surprise for next time. Um, but starting a little bit late today, no big deal. But that's where to find us. 3 p.m. Eastern time, uh, Saturday afternoons on Clubhouse. Uh, what is going on with you guys this week? Uh, nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Well, what is going on in the news this week? Then, like, was there any big news story that felt that, like, the you know, it's always polit, it's always politics of some kind or economics, but mostly politics. Um, the you know the the, the Trump fine did that come yeah, out? That was the biggest thing in the news. I thought uh, today there was also uh, an update on the crypto six. Like I, I saw this update on a tweet by uh, co co-founder of Free Talk Live, Mark Edge, on Twitter, and then I went like, "How was I not informed of this?" So I, you know, I jumped on Telegram. It's like there was nothing in the host chat. There was nothing in the Crypto Six page. There was nothing on, you know, the Free Keen blog. Um, so I'm like, I'm learning about this from a tweet and then having to like Google the information myself. But Ian who is still being held in prison um, after being sentenced to eight years, has come to an agreement on his restitutions to pay his, quote-unquote, uh, victims of romance scams to the tune of $3.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> it would be funny if it wasn't outrageous. Right? So he sold, you know, to recap for anyone not in the know, he sold... Bitcoin uh, without the government's permission and in that process some people got scammed and those people got scammed by actual romance scammers who said send this cash these Federal Reserve notes to Ian Freeman and Ian Freeman will then send me Bitcoin and so Ian did his you know normal due diligence um, he was definitely more KYC than um, than most other face-to-face -face sellers or online sellers like he kept records and asked people questions and tried his best to protect people and warn people and and whatnot along the way um, but a handful slipped through the cracks and these people were taken uh, by these romance scammers and at trial some of them like Ian was only a fraction of what they lost to others actual romance scammers right and when when cross-examined uh, by Ian's defense, uh, the FBI admitted that they had not gone after anybody else. Like, so, you know, one, you know, a couple of them were, you know, they gave Ian money and they gave a handful of other people money as part of these romance scams. But Ian was the target. And so that, you know, there's there's no justice there. Um, but they came to terms three point five million dollars in one of the one of the articles that I read. Uh, it said something to the effect like, you know, based on what the government has already confiscated from Ian uh, as part of the raid and trial and whatnot, that they have more than enough to cover the damages. So the, the government already has the money stolen from Ian, and they're not, they're not going to redistribute it to willing customers in the news. Does that help him get out early at least? No, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, so his the criminal sentence was eight years, and you know some odd some odd some odd months, 
this was specifically uh, the restitution part of the sentence. So he still has to do eight years and pay customers who were scammed by actual scammers $3.5 million. And he, in, he probably just doesn't want the government to have it anymore. Well, I mean, <laughs> the appropriate thing is file a motion for your property to be returned, right? Like, what are they, you know? Sure. And he did that. You know, I, I, I admit that I thought he may have overplayed his hand uh, during the actual sentencing because this is nothing to do with, like, the monetary fine that he owes. And before they assess the monetary fine part of the sentence, um, he offered that it be paid to the victims. I went, well, that was dumb. Like, why are you, you know, you should never admit that they're victims if you're going to call this a victimless crime, right? Like, you know, selling Bitcoin is a victimless crime. The scammers scam the victims. Ian, you know, facilitated the transaction uh, under false pretenses because they lied to him when he when he questioned them about what they're doing and their motives and who they are and who they're sending it to and whether or not this was a legitimate thing and so on and so forth. Like, they participated in the scam as much as the scammers did and victimized Ian in the process through fraud. Um, but, you know, in, in during, the, during the defense trial, uh, during sentencing of that, you know, he said, like, well, I, I would rather pay the victims, you know, than, than have the government take a fine. And they obviously shot that down. And I, and I think the government fine was only like $40,000. All right, so $40,000 to the state and $3.5 million to the quote-unquote victims in restitution payments. So that's my news. I don't know. You know, There's still going to be um, hearings and whatnot and appeals on the criminal side of things. Um, and so I don't know if, you, you know if that will stick once the appeals goes through, but that's... You know, it was just weird that I didn't get like no notice whatsoever. You know, like I'm on the Telegram channels. I I, I have an RSS feed for the blog. Uh, luckily, I happen to open Twitter because of one of Elon's stupid notifications, and I just happened to glimpse at the tweet before it refreshed off the page. You know, like oh man, I got to look this up. Sure enough, that's what I found. Hmm. Well, I think the the victims uh, deserve to be victimized because that's just that's just dumb well yes and no right like i'm i'm not a fan of romance scams but if you know if you're in the middle of a romance scam and the guy facilitating it for you like says like hey i'm concerned that this is romance scam and you go nope it's not i know exactly what i'm doing i know the nigerian prince he's a personal close friend of mine right just (laughs) send him the bitcoin right then what i mean what are you gonna do like you know you sell him the you sell her the bitcoin or whatever or him you know there was a, there were males and females across the board and part of the you know part of the defense was uh, part of the prosecution was like you know he kept he kept meticulous records of these people he had pictures <laughs> of old ladies on his hard drive he should have known that they were incapable of making financial decisions on their own <laughs> age discrimination huh? yes and racial discrimination because they said like he should have known that a black dude in a suit could not have been the CEO of some company. Like that's that's in the record for the prosecution. Wow. Is you know, it's you you laughed and if it wasn't tragic, it would be hilarious. Right? Like how do they get away with this? How did a jury find him guilty? You know, knowing all of this that it's 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 tragic. Uh, but it would be hilarious if it wasn't. Like if he had if he had come out scot free and won, it would have been like the most obvious thing in the world, and we'd laugh at all the dumb shit that the prosecution said. Right? This would be this would you know this is fodder for shows like this. If the jury didn't get it wrong, and if the prosecution wasn't so malicious, and if he wasn't going to be spending you know up to eight years in prison because of it, the jury got another one wrong uh, recently. And, uh... Michael Mann versus Mike Stein. I'm not familiar with this one, but go ahead. So it's a defamation case that went on for 12 years. Holy cow. And uh, Michael Mann said, I was at the grocery store and some lady gave me uh, a look out of the, you know, gave her side eye, basically. Gave mm-hmm. him side eye. So so he, he assumed that was because 
some guy on the internet made a joke that uh, the the joke included uh, a part of the joke was a pedophile that you know went went to jail or something or didn't. Okay, I don't remember, but the joke wasn't saying that he was that that uh, Michael Mann was a pedophile. It was it was a, it was a more uh, complicated joke. Okay, but he didn't get it so. So now he's walking around the grocery store, and he thinks every lady that looks at him thinks he's a pedophile. <laughs> okay. So he's suing Michael Stein for that. Um, and the jury is agreeing with Michael Mann? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Wrong again. <laughs> Go on. So he got fined. And actually, so you know, when you do a defamation, you're supposed to say what the damages are. And he never proved that he was damaged at all financially. And so he was awarded when he won. One dollar from each of the plaintiffs. There's actually three people he was suing, but the main one was uh, Stein. Okay. And then he was awarded a million dollars in punitive damages. <laughs> so, just as a punishment. Okay. To and, Michael Stein. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Uh, to Michael Mann. Michael Mann was suing Michael Stein. Yeah. Right. So, so Michael was Mann against, got a million dollars from Michael Stein. You said there were three of them. Yeah. I don't know how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. And But no damages for the other two. Okay. No punitive so, damages for the other two. No, just, just for Michael Stein. Interesting. And so, um, anyway, it was, it was absolutely uh, one-sided. Like, if you were listening to the case, every, all the evidence was against Michael Mann. Yeah. So Mike, Michael Mann, in his own documents, claimed that he was an, a Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> and many years ago, because you know, it was a 12-year case, yeah. uh, the, the Nobel Commission, for the first time ever, and the only time, made a letter saying, this person did not win the Nobel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just, just to kind of rub it in, you know? Okay. Like, so he's the official recipient of a letter saying he's not a Nobel okay. <laughs> Prize winner. And KS, um, you've talked on this before, real quick, sorry to interrupt, but you've talked on this before, KS, um, about you know not needing slander and libel laws because you can just counter their lies with the facts. And this would be one of those cases, right? A guy makes an outrageous claim, I'm a Nobel Prize winner, and the committee, straight from the horse's mouth, right, the source says, uh, no, you're not, right? And then it, it would mm -hmm. be up to the public to decide whom you believe after that. Yes, and but in addition, in this kind of case, I think it's uh, a le legitimate to then to prosecute fraud, uh, not just libel that you're saying bad things about people or or um, untrue things about yourself, but that it you on the basis of that you've um, deceived somebody you're doing business with. Isn't that okay. what the case is here? Yeah. So, so any, anybody who yeah. he told he was a Nobel Prize winner could then make a claim for fraud against him. I think so. Yeah. Like I only ch I only signed that contract because you were a Nobel Prize winner. You defrauded me. Mm-hmm. And. Sufficiently proven by the fact that he's on record as saying I'm a Nobel Prize winner, and the Nobel Prize Committee or the Nobel Committee uh, refuting that claim publicly. Yeah. Okay. And so also, what, what came out in the trial is that Michael Mann himself actually caused real damages to other scientists, uh, defamation damages, because he would write to the journals and say, "Don't publish this guy's science because it doesn't go along with the narrative." And then they wouldn't. And so that's why when, when they say 97% of uh, science agrees with Michael Mann, well, it's like, yeah, because he's telling them not to publish anything that disagrees with him. Okay. So um, that's that's actually how science works these days. It's a, it's a what do you call it, closed garden system. Where, walled garden. Uh, well, yeah, walled garden. Club. <laughs> the, yeah, if... if if you don't go along with the narrative, you don't get published. And if you don't get published, you don't do science because that's what you're paid to do as a scientist. So Okay. I want to bring KS back in on this one because to me, that seems okay under your paradigm. Right? E even though it may cause it may cause damages. You know, the publishers are private, Michael Mann is private, they have no there's no obligation for them to publish certain scientists over other scientists. Yeah. A, a lot of this doesn't really fall into the everything's private. Uh, realm because a lot of this is public funded uh, government grants so this is this isn't just like a, a private corporation saying don't publish this um, this is uh, 
A little bit deeper and com- more complex than that. Okay. Your take, KS, is actual damage being done if he tells a third party not to accept information from a second party. Mm, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really understand fully the, the situation here. So, so when the scientist, you know, makes his report, mm-hmm. he, draw, he, you know, puts a lot of effort into it, money into it, and he comes up with something that he wants published in a scientific journal. Mm-hmm. Michael Mann comes along and says, "Hey, this makes me look bad." Don't publish that. Mm-hmm. And then the journal goes, "Oh yeah, I agree with you. We can't. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't line up with the other stuff we published. So that would make us look bad too. So we just won't publish it." Mm-hmm. Is there an obligation to publish the counter evidence? Mm, I'd say no. If the if it's a private journal, then they they can do. They well, as MC do. noted, there's public funds involved. Yeah. Well. Hmm, yeah. In those cases, um, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, the the point is is there there is actual damages. Um, well, there's potential whether, damages, right? We have to go to court to figure that out. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, let me parallel it to some other things that have happened that we've you know we've talked about on here, right? A, a guy gets arrested uh, for you know sexual assault, and it makes the newspaper, and his job fires him. And it comes out that he was, you know, falsely accused, right? And we've made the claim that he's not owed the job. It isn't owed any, you know, any damages by the company or by the accuser because the company hire, uh, the, the company work relationship is a completely separate entity, right? Like he's not owed anything because of that. The company chose to fire him based off of, you know, any number of factors, but this being the primary one. And that, that has been the position of the co-host in the past. And I, that's the parallel that I'm making here. Right? If, if that's the case for those cases, then it should parallel to Michael Mann being able to say what he wants. And if the publisher chooses to accept his information and not publish the, the scientist's alternate view, um, then that's allowable. Because there's no obligation to publish. They don't have to take anything into account, even if there's public funds. Right. They can self-publish or find another publisher or, you know, just release the information publicly on some other platform, forego the payment, right, or solicit payment another way. Uh, but they, they are not owed anything by the publisher, just like the uh, victim in the sexual assault case isn't owed a job by the employer. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll go along with it. It's, it's not that... Bigger dish, uh, bigger okay. issue. But my, my my whole point. Is, I just want consistency. That's all. Well, my my point is Michael Mann is a hypocrite, and um, he's he's actually trying to uh, not just defame, but he's trying to ruin the careers of legitimate scientists. Right. And he himself, I mean, that that's what half the case was about was how he came up with his hockey stick graph, because if if. If he if he lied or made stuff up on his hockey stick graph, then that would make him the fraud, right? And and everybody he's going after is, is fraud also because you know he shouldn't be able to tell anybody that their science is bad when he's making up stuff. Well, I, again, it, both should be published, and the re, the viewer, the reader, the audience should be able to come to their own conclusion, right? If sure. if we if we reject the concept of slander and libel and and um, penalties on speech, right? If the, if, the, if the position is that bad speech is countered by good speech, then they just need to publicize their good speech. And whether or not that's through a reputable scientific journal uh, or, you know, Tumblr, I don't care, right? Like th- there's an outlet for them to publish their results that doesn't, have, that doesn't have to be under the thumb of Michael Mann. And that would be the way to counter his speech. Now, if he sues, right, if he sues claiming some sort of libel or defamation or whatever, um, I'd, be, I'd be more accepting of a countersuit, right? Well, you know, because good for the goose, good for the gander, right? Like, you know, one of my general oh. positions is that, that actually philosophy happened. against him. Go ahead. So my, Michael Mann actually sued somebody in Canada. The guy wasted all his money on his defense and, and won. So that's, this is the previous uh, trial. And... 
the the court awarded uh, the the defendant, or I'm sorry, the yeah, the defendant uh, millions of dollars. Maybe it's a million. I can't remember, but more than a million. Yep. Uh, and and Michael Mann was supposed to pay it to him, but but he passed away. Okay. And then the and then the so he you know he didn't pay. So then the court said, well, you still owe it to his family then. Yeah. And he still hasn't he still hasn't paid. Okay. So he so he's he's a loser. Yeah. Um, he's going after people and you know causing a whole bunch of lawyer fees and yeah anyway, and he's and he's not paying so. And as long as you can back that up, this show is safe. No, not a good joke. Sure, because what? Well, because now he theoretically could come after us for calling him a loser. I don't think we're important enough. Yeah, I know. I get you. It'd be just fun. don't call him. A, just don't call him a pedophile. Okay. <laughs> Somebody might look at him. Cr- cross-eyed in the, in the store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's the weird. You know, I'm not going to call him a pedophile, but me doth thinks he protests too much. <laughs> he right. has thin skin. Right. That, that's. <laughs> that's been noted before too. Like I just I presume that nobody knows me out in public. Right. And if I get a cross-eyed look, it, you know, it, whatever, <laughs> like what's what's wrong with that guy cuz there's clearly nothing wrong with me. Must be the mask. Must be, yeah, yeah, oh man. <laughs> Speaking of which, do I need to bring one? Like are you guys still doing that nonsense? No, we're not doing okay. that nonsense. All right. <laughs> I kept I kept meaning to ask my mom. I'm like, "Do I need to fucking bring the mask again?" Because I don't want to pack it. It's like two pounds of you know heavy gauge plastic, and and it and it's so stupid because there you know I was waiting for the day when the media was going to say okay you don't need to wear your mask anymore, but that never came. <laughs> you know, just people just slowly people, slowly people just realized well that everybody else isn't doing it. I guess I don't have to do it either. <laughs> well, but they ha- the the state had to lift the restrictions at some point, right? Or are the restrictions technically still in place and just being ignored? Uh, I think they did lift the restrictions. Um, okay. Yeah, but it, it, it was, it went away pretty quietly. Okay. I'm going to be very disappointed if I show up and I'm asked to wear a mask and I don't have mine with me, so. <laughs> Just put your shirt over your mouth. You'll be fine. No, it's not the same. You've seen my mask. It is not the same. <laughs> no, I mean, just to get through the door. <laughs> yeah, no, I got, that. that's fine. But like my, for those who don't know, uh, when COVID started, and they started doing the mask requirements. Uh, there was a whole bunch of liberty-minded individuals, rightfully up in arms, about um, the mask requirements. And I went the completely opposite direction. Like they were like, "Well, I'm not going to wear the mask," and like, "Fuck you and your mask." And I was like, "Let's just scare the shit out of people." So I went out and ordered, you know, uh, a a ballistics mask, like, and blacked out the eyes so you can't see anything. I was like, let's just walk around with this. And we're in New Hampshire, so you can open carry here. Like, let's just walk around with ballistics masks. You know, I've got body armor now in storage and just open carry rifles everywhere. Like, if they don't want to see faces, let's, you know, let's let's show them the, you know, the extent to which we can go on the other side of that. And, you know, I, I, I wore that into a bank after they told me to put on a mask. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I've got one of my own, and I walked in with that. And then so the last time I was in Hawaii, which is another trip coming up, uh, I brought that one with me because Hawaii was still masking up. I was like, well, this is this is going to be a dream. Uh, and we went out, and I think you, you KS was with us, right? I, at least you were MC. Uh, went to the shopping, you know, went shopping with that thing on and good times. So I just don't want to miss the opportunity to wear it again because now it just sits on my desk as like, you know, a mask of a bygone era. Anywho, Michael Mann, not a pe- not a pedophile, but sure does look like one if you look at him cross-eyed. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, Australia posted all their uh, death rates for the people who've got different numbers of jabs, and it's a nice chart about it. Um, so the the chances of dying. For for the people who have been jabbed, uh, it's much higher than people who didn't. Yep. And so so Australia kind of got hit uh, late with COVID and not as hard, I think. Um, but for the people who got the the, the mRNA jab, 
Um, they had there still has a have a higher uh, all all cause uh, you know death rate so high, yep. is much higher um, even amongst and they they split it out amongst uh, age groups too so younger more younger people are dying uh, since the mRNA um, yeah I'm 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 skeptical I'm paranoid uh, I border on the line of conspiracy theorist I'm not a hardcore conspiracy theorist. But there's a few things that I am, you know, convinced of, uh, and that's the vaccine caused deaths, right? And I, I'm, a, I'm about to be 42, and there's a few things that never entered my consciousness until I was f- almost 40, right? Like, or after 40. Uh, I didn't know what myocarditis was, mm-hmm. and I had never heard of sudden adult death syndrome. It seemed like something they made up, right? <laughs> and then sure, yeah, it's so rare that nobody gets it, you know. Right. Well, nobody gets it, and then everybody fucking gets it, right? And yeah. that's I go like, well, something caused it. It's not the COVID, <laughs> because the COVID people are dying of COVID, and the unjabbed people aren't dying of myocarditis or sudden adult death syndrome, yeah. right? And then you got you know the 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 hashtag died suddenly. Right, it's like all the you know all the instances of otherwise young, healthy, athletic individuals just collapsing and dying, right? With with no preceding cause, no symptom, not like nothing to give you any iota that they might be in danger, uh, and then they're dying. I go like, well, oh look at that! There's someone named Fred who wants to enter the room. <laughs> I'm going to invite him to speak, and we'll see if he figured this out. Fred, you've been invited to speak. Uh, figure out how to accept that invite. You know, welcome to the show. This is the guest, I think. If it's, I don't know how yes. many people named Fred are on there, but that's these, that's our Fred. This is yeah. our Fred, uh, yeah. who, who we tried to get set up at the beginning of the show and failed spectacularly, but now is ready to go. But yeah, so like those things to me goes like, well, I'm glad I didn't get it. And I'm glad I, you know, resisted and persisted and, you know, told everyone a whole bunch of stuff about it along the way. Um, all right. All you have to do, Fred, is unmute your mic in the lower right-hand corner of your phone. There's a little microphone. And then you can unmute that. There you are. Now we can hear you. Aloha. Aloha. Great Aloha, to have you. <laughs> I feel I'm so dumb. It took me so long. Hey, you're part of the club now. <laughs> how long? How long did it take you to uh, wake up and uh, be be more li- libertarian and free minded? Well, uh, that occurred when I was 23 years old, right out of the army. So it took I'm me until I was 20, 27 or 28. It took me till I was like 27. Uh, uh, say again, please, slower. Took me until I was like 27. Oh, oh. How old are you now? Uh, 45. I was about in that range. Like, you know, figured it out around 25 or so. It took a, it took an Iraq war to wake me up. What, what made the change for you, Fred? Fred, are you it, muted? He's got, he's nope. got internet problems probably. <laughs> Can you hear us, Fred? Can you speak? We're not hearing anything from you. He's not muted. I can see that on the the app. He's out in the country somewhere. He's probably his internet service. Enjoying the weather. Yeah. You were on, Fred, but now we don't hear you. Check to see if you've dropped your microphone or muted something. Still nothing. This is where I need hold music to play. (laughs) Please stand by. Technical difficulties. Yeah, there you go. Whatever the chirp button was. You and your old buttons. Like, I've got the new sound effects, and they're just not the same. Yeah. Um, I could maybe upload them, and you could reprogram them, and that'd take a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, I still have the old mixer, so theoretically, I could do the same without having you to do any of the work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Hold on. Let's try this button.
the Fred Holt music. Matthew? Yeah, yeah I hear you. There you are, Fred. Matthew, uh, I see three pictures on the screen. Yeah, don't uh, click on them. I don't, but the one in the middle is black and white. Is that you? That's me when I was 27. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and look at that. Mm -hmm. My picture's actually me in the mask that we were just talking about. And who's Rich on the far left? I am. He's in, he's in New Hampshire. Oh, that's cold in that place. <laughs> he's part of the news news or the Free State Project. Yeah. Aha. Where are you I guys? That was cool. Yeah. It's where all the Fred, real you were you were saying how you got started in this cool. stuff. You said you you were going to say how you got started in this libertarian stuff, and I was telling them that you were on radio for many many decades. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, it was started earlier than that. I, I've been an individualist all my life, and I've been philosophically oriented. I remember at age six or even earlier being aware of the uh, uh, incredible thing it is to be aware of uh, and, and being able to structure your uh, analysis of the world. Like, I exist, and isn't it wonderful that I'm aware of it? Uh, and then you got guys like Sam Harris opposing these ideas. Anyway, uh, it, it, I became a libertarian in 1969 when I met Bill Danks and and uh, became, and just met a whole bunch of libertarians and began to analyze what they were saying. And I said, "This is what I've been all my life." And I have the, just got more hardcore. Once you read Rothbard, you never go back. Ah, but do you move on to Hoppe? Did I move Ooh, on to Hans, Hans Hermann Hoppe? I consider a, a retrogression. Well, well no, no, fine, I said Rothbard. There's, there's a clear pathway from people who read Rothbard and then read Hoppe, and it changes oh, I, them from being a Rothbardian. <laughs> so I'm just I checking. didn't do that. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I, I read, it, I've never, I have never read him in depth. It wasn't necessary, I guess. No. Uh, well, if you stop at Rothbard, yeah, it's not necessary. No, but if you read Hoppe, people make that transition. I didn't stop at Rothbard. I've never stopped. I continue reading. And one of my favorite guys now is the guy that wrote Re The Real Lincoln. Uh, I, yeah, I continue reading. And when once you have this combined basis of Rand, Rothbard, and Milton Friedman, and then you add in... Uh, guys like Richard Dawkins, uh, you've just got a solid base, and that can't be perturbed. Go and you on. had some of them on your radio show. You had um, John Hospers and Murray Rothbard and David Friedman all on your radio show. You, yes. You were... uh, yeah, I had I had them all on more than once. And Nathaniel Brandon, too. And, and, and here's how hardcore I was. The day that Ayn Rand died in March of 82... I, I cried. I, I just thought, and you know why I cried? It wasn't because she died. It's because that I knew I would never get to meet her. <laughs> it was selfish. <laughs> okay, so I'm hardcore. And I'm very young, too. I'm only, uh, I'm younger than Kenji. <laughs> <laughs> and many years ago, like, um, we did a parody of Thomas Paine and, and Adam Smith on your radio show. Oh, yes, we did. That was so much fun. In costume. In, in, in costume for radio. <laughs> well, it must be pointed out that that was my first year anniversary at that radio station. And I invited every libertarian in town and a lot of them showed up. And so you and I wore costumes for them. <laughs> nice. Right? Yeah, yeah. That was such a good time. We had a lot of fun in those days. Well, we still do. Right? Indeed. And we went to see them, all those jets and airplanes and World War II crap at that uh, museum on Ford Island the other a uh, couple months ago. That was cool. So um, I don't want to. Uh, I'm talking too much. I want to hear all these other opinions. Well, what is your opinion on the COVID mask mandates? Because that's where we were when we jumped you on here. Well, I was opposed to them, of course. And I, I just disdained them, although I, I put up with it uh, because I have friends that are hardcore. And they, one of them named Morse did a, a huge, huge uh, examination of the history 
and the results of wearing masks, and he found that it just they they're, they're insignificant. They don't change anything. They don't help you. They don't hurt you. Uh, it's just that they've been accepted by the medical field. Yeah. Well, it, it it depends because some of the masks, you know, the the cloth ones that have the blue on the one side and the white on the other. Um, those actually have chemicals in them, and they're not supposed to be worn long long term. Yep. Um, so I don't doubt other, that. I the other thing is, no. the reason masks are worn in hospitals isn't because of viruses. It's because of bacteria and mold and whatever else, and they don't want it, you know, dripping in when they're doing surgeries and, uh, you know, causing problems when they've got people's bodies split open. And they don't um, wear it all day. Mundo. Yeah. I think yeah. that uh, Jesse James and Butch Cassidy found masks very effective. <laughs> well, and again, that oh, was the purpose funny. of my mask, right? That was that was the absolute purpose of my mask. If they don't want to see faces, they're not going Rich, to see anything. Rich, explain, describe your mask, what that mask was. Oh, there's a little picture of it on the phone. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> my a full face mask. That I look at. In it's iron. A, it's a ballistics mask. It is level three bulletproof. <laughs> And I put mesh over the eyes, so you couldn't even see the eyes. How uh, did you see out? <laughs> uh, well, because at, at short distances, you can see through the mesh. <laughs> but I put mesh over the eyes. You know, you couldn't see through the eyes. Um, and, and MC can attest to this as well. Um, I had a speaker that I hung from a dog collar uh, and an <laughs> app on my phone that I would text to, t that I would text to speech. So I wouldn't even speak while wearing the mask. I would type into my phone, and the speaker would say what I typed. So cool. they got no human emotions out of me whatsoever. <laughs> like, you can't see my face. You can't hear my voice. You know, you get nothing but this blacked-out hole under a hood. And I tried—my goal was to get every, you know, to get everyone to do this, right? Like, I don't care, you know, if you're pro-mask or—like, if this is what they want— Let's take it to the extreme. Um, nobody joined me, unfortunately. It's a losing effort on my part to recruit people. Uh, but I could have got, like, a discount on, on a whole bunch of these ballistic masks if I got, like, you know, 10 or 20 people or whatever to buy in with me. But that was it. And, you know, we went to, we went to the grocery store with it on. Uh, I got kicked out of Kahala Mall with it on right before I left Hawaii the last time. Uh, <clears throat> Security was having nothing, and I just stared at him because I wasn't going to talk to him. It's like, you need to leave, but I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> you typed that in, though. <laughs> but I'm wearing a mask. You yeah. typed it in, and it spoke. And why, why, what was their reason that you had to leave? Well, well because it wasn't scary? one. So, it, so even here in New Hampshire, the first time I had issues with the mask was at the Apple store. And so the Apple store had like, you know, bouncers, basically giant security guards out front. Um, and I went in with my ex because she needed to like get her phone repaired or whatever. And so we get to the front of the line and security goes like, here's a mask. And I went, no, I have one of my own. And I put <laughs> on this ballistics mask, you know, and... Uh, the store manager came up and said, like, not allowed. Like, you have to take that off and wear one of these paper masks. And, <laughs> and so I obliged him, right? But I, I put the paper mask, you know, over my mouth, below my nose. And he came up to me again and said, like, you know, pull it up. And, you know, I said, like, well, every time I talk, it falls down. You know, like, what do you want, to, what do you want me to do here? And, you know, he said, well, it's, a, you know, it's about the safety uh, of our, you know, uh, oh no, what did he say first? Oh, when he told me to take off the, the ballistic mask, um, he said it was about optics, right? Like you're, you know, this is not good optics for our other customers. Right. And so when he came up to me to, you know, cause the other mask, the, the shit mask kept falling off my face, you know, I, I told him, I was like, you know, you, you know, he said, you're saying it's about safety, but I know that's a lie because I have a vastly superior mask in my backpack and you told me not to wear it because of optics. So if it's about safety, I'll put on my mask. If it's about optics, you know, I'll have this crappy mask on. Not only that, 
but you have violated the six foot rule like three times now <laughs> coming up to bother me. <laughs> so what is your deal? You know? And so he backed away like, sorry, sir, sorry, sir. And, you know, we went about our business and carried on. And then I, I emailed or looked up the, I talked to somebody from, you know, from Apple support about what their policy was on face shields. I'm like, I've got like this 10 millimeter face shield and your guy told me to take it off. Like, what's the deal with that? You know, <laughs> because if he had, if he did it again, I was absolutely going to file a complaint with corporate, right? I've got a 10 millimeter face shield that's better than your, you know, cotton blue nastiness. What are we doing here? Um, so, yeah. So, so from then on, I knew that it was about optics because I have this vastly superior mask. And when I flew into Hawaii, I wore the mask because the planes required it at the time. Um, and when I left Hawaii, again, I was uh, harangued at the airport, uh, again, because of the optics. Right? Like the, the some representative of the airport or Hawaiian Airlines or whatever like chased me down to hand me a paper mask knowing that I was like leaving the island. Um, and again, I don't want to be in Hawaii any longer than I have to be. So I obliged him until I got on the plane and then I just took it off and didn't mask up, you know, or pulled it down and didn't mask up for most of the flight home, you know, but it's, it's clear. It was never about safety. I knew this. I knew it when the Apple guys, I knew it beforehand. And like, this was the test, Right. I've got this vastly superior mask that looks evil as all hell and scares the shit out of everybody, but it's better than that paper thing. Oh, and the, you know, the, the, the guy, um, the guy at the airport said that my mask was insufficient because it had vents, like the, the <laughs> eye holes, <laughs> the eye holes in the mask he called vents and then he hands me this paper mask and I go, this doesn't even cover the eyes. Right, like I got a full face mask, right, and you're gonna make me put on this not, you know, this non-mask for optics, you know. So I I knew it was a scam before that. This was my little test run. This is this is why I wanted this to be the protest, right? Because we knew what was going on, and this made a better, uh, this this made for better optics on our end. I think, you know, excuse me. Could you define optics broadly or definitively? Uh, probably not, but I'll give it my best shot. It's how it looks. Yeah, that's what it means. <laughs> oh, you mean like when the anti-gun people don't like black guns with with various accoutrements on them? Yes. And as soon as you get rid of the accoutrement, no matter, it still shoots the same caliber at the same rate. Then yeah. it's okay. Is that what you mean? Yes. So, oh, that's crap. Yeah. Uh, for for a while, um, I was a a licensed firearm instructor through the NRA, and mm -hmm. I, I'm not very good at my job, um, but I was one. And so, this is this is again, this is like my position on things, as far as the black guns, right? The common the common caliber for the AR-15 uh, is the two two three. Correct. Right. Okay. So what I don't understand is why gun enthusiasts uh, don't just refer to that as a 22 caliber, because technically yeah. it is. It's a 22. Yeah. Yes. You got this big gun and it fires a 22. Little right. wimpy round. A little wimpy round. Of this, course, it goes pretty fast and can cut your head off. But anyway, yeah. Well, but don't tell the gun grabbers that, yeah. right? Like that's that's not the optics you want to pitch. You want to pitch that it's this little dinky round, right? And show them the bullet. Don't show them the cartridge. Show them the bullet. This is the bullet. This tiny little thing that fires out of the AR-15, right? Makes a tiny little hole, a 22-sized a hole, right? Now, at speed, it does a lot more damage, but they're dumb already. They, if they knew that, right, they, wouldn't, they, would, they would have a different position already, Uh so you have the you know you have the black rifle that fires this you know tw this two two three twenty two caliber cartridge, and you also have a lever action rifle that fires the same cartridge, right? Which one is that? Uh, I believe Henry makes one. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, but it, it's a regular rifle, maybe even a, uh, a single shot. Sure, whatever. <laughs> but you you put up this you put up this lever action rifle. 
right next to these, you know, the the teched out AR-15 with the the scope and the handrails and the you know the forward grip and all that other stuff, right? And one looks scarier than the other, but they fire the same dinky little twenty-two rifle or twenty right. twenty-two two-two-three round, yep. right? And so like I, you know, that's if it were me in charge of marketing, uh, that's that's probably how I would position it when talking to you know gun uh gun grabbers but yeah same idea uh it's it's all in the optics right one one rifle good for hunting squirrels right like you just shoot the little squirrel with this dinky little 22 223 right and one bad because it'll take your head off and decapitate you and whatever joe mm-hmm. biden said mm-hmm. same round same rate of fire same you know same same speed like, but that's, you know, that's the optics. So when it came to the, when it came to the COVID masks, uh, my mask, thick, black, scary, can't <laughs> see my face, right? Obviously a protest mask, but a protest mask that was uh, picked because it was so much better than the minimum requirement, right? That they couldn't say that this mask was insufficient. They couldn't. There's no way you can look at my mask and go like, no, that doesn't qualify. Too thick, too much coverage, you know, doesn't doesn't let enough. Like, you sneeze in that thing, and there's no way the particles are escaping, right? You're going to be choking that back in whenever, right? Like it, you know, the the sweat poured into, and you know, my my exhale poured into the mask and was not released into the atmosphere at all. Like that yeah. mask held it. My, my favorite observation was every time I was at the airport and somebody needed to sneeze or cough, they always lowered their mask and sneezed or coughed and then put their mask back on. Yeah. <laughs> or, or they sneeze into their elbow. I, I found that completely ridiculous because then you'd still have all that crap in, in your elbow. Better sneeze into your hands and then wash your hands. Oh no, I'm an elbow sneezer because then I can still touch things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deviationists everywhere. It, well, it depends if if there's a restroom right nearby, then sure. But if if not, then uh, yeah. I also wash your elbows. Well, I don't wash my hands that many times a day either. Like I don't work in a restaurant anymore, so it's not like I'm rushing to the bathroom every time. You know. Every time, unless I'm in the kitchen, right? Like they, they've made fun of this online and, you know, the guy who like cuts something and then rinses his hands off in the sink and then cuts some. Like I'm also that guy when I'm in the kitchen because I don't want to cross contaminate my board. I wipe my knife down. You know, I do all of that stuff when I'm handling food. Uh, but if I'm out and about, right, like I know I'm not going to deviate to the bathroom to wash my hands after a sneeze. Um, but if I leave it on my elbow. Right, I can comfortably grab the handle and not fear that I'm going to get somebody else sick. Hmm. Interesting. And then, because you know, I wear a coat or a jacket or whatever here because it's winter in New Hampshire. Right, it stays on that, and then I just wash that, you know, with my regular laundry. You want to go over your your headlines before we? Uh, Is it that time already? Time. Let's see what we got here. All right, headlines. Seize the means of production in a few easy steps. Headline, the Texas town under martial law. Uh, Eagle Pass residents reveal how cops and troops are seizing their property and questioning locals as it stands at the epicenter of the migrant crisis. Uh, headline, squatters are taking over homes all over nation on an industrial scale and turning them into dens of crime. Uh, headline, Hawaii could join the National Police Misconduct Database if only it could finally get its police standards board to work. Uh, headline, seven, this 70-year-old woman might lose her $377,000 home over a small tax debt. Uh, headline, New Jersey's plastic bag ban backfires horribly. You guys know how that one's going to go. Uh, headline, how Governor Whitmer doomed Detroit auto workers. And finally, headline, California Senate hopeful Barbara Lee wants a $50 per hour minimum wage. Yeah, make it 100 Make it 100 <laughs> Where do you guys want to start? 
Yeah. Um, that's been well known in all economists. They've been saying that for years. And it's such a, an argument of, of great power. And, uh, and they just roll their eyes and, and ignore it. Well, How about Governor Whitmore and the uh, dooming of Detroit? I think I know what it's about. Doom! Uh, how Governor Whitmer doomed Detroit auto workers. The new year started out on a painful note uh, for auto workers building electric vehicles. In the last month, thousands of workers have been laid off from General Motors and Ford plants in Michigan. Most workers involved were on slate to be working on electric versions of each brand's signature truck, uh, the Chevy Silverado EV and the Ford F-150 Lightning. The latter has been available for purchase since 2022, uh, with the Silverado EV set to debut this year. Yet both have run into problem. Consumers don't want them. Uh, more specifically, consumers don't want as many of these trucks as Ford and GM are currently producing. On its face, this might appear like a classic case of entrepreneurial error. But there's more to the story because the production levels of EVs in recent years have been defined more by politics than any actual attempt to anticipate consumer interest. And as recent weeks have shown, the big loser uh, in this politicized production process are the workers. When we talk about the economy, it's always important to remember that we're talking about a process, not a state of being. Specifically, it's a process for producing goods and services that satisfy the needs and wants of the end consumer. Every part of every line of production, from the drafting of children's books to the manufacturing of shipyard cranes, is a means towards an eventual end. But government often comes in and spurs new production projects without any regard for the wants and needs of the end consumers, such is the case with these electric trucks. Take the GM plant from above in Michigan's Orion Township. Orion? I don't know. For example, uh, the plant has been around for decades, but two years ago, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer used hundreds of millions of tax dollars worth of grants and other political favors to goad GM into expanding EV production at the site. At a triumphant press conference in early 22, uh, the Democratic governor celebrated the thousands of future jobs she had helped secure while making Michigan a home for the electric vehicle future. The optics of creating jobs while saving the world from climate change probably helped Governor Whitmer as she ran and won her re-election campaign later that year. But eventually, GM could no longer ignore the fact that the governor gulled them into making a bad investment. These new jobs and capital investments were going towards the productions of cars that wouldn't sell. So last December, GM laid off nearly a 1,000 workers from the Orion assembly plant. In January, Ford followed suit and announced that it would start laying off 1,400 workers in Dearborn, Michigan in April. Both companies have also announced delays and scalebacks of previously planned EV investments. While this is one case of government politicizing the production process, there are also many others. What Whitmer did mirrors the policies of many of her fellow governors across the country, and moreover, it resembles President Joe Biden's economic agenda. It should go without saying that this is bad for workers. These politicians are leading these workers into jobs where they produce things people don't even want, thereby dooming them to continually insecure employment uh, and all the instability that brings to their lives. On top of that, these projects also draw workers and capital away from the production of other more valued goods, making everyone worse off. Entrepreneurs and company executives must be allowed to produce what consumers actually want and need. The government shouldn't stand in their way with le legislation and regulation shouldn't lead them away from doing so with subsidies and political favors. It's not the fault of Michigan auto workers that they were es essentially tricked into ill-fated jobs. That blame belongs to the governor. End of the article. So you thought you knew where that was going. Is that where it was, MC? And what are your thoughts? I had to step away for a second to uh, take care of some dog dog doo doo, but um, <laughs> how was it? Overshare. <laughs> it was uh, same as dog doo doo. <laughs> uh, basically, Governor Whitmer uh, gave GM and Ford a bunch of money to expand their plants, and now nobody wants to buy EV trucks. Uh, well, I can tell you something uh, in regard to what you read, and that is that I finished a, a large, long. Um, biography of Elon Musk, and he uh, has changed the world, and he's done it privately with his own money, 
And mm, uh, not well, entirely, but <laughs> yeah, um, I'm well in in basis, detect- basically yes. Even though he's got government stuff, he got it uh, on a far different basis. But my point was simply compare him to your idiot politicians in Michigan, and you've got such a black and white case. Well, black and gray. Elon Musk gets a whole bunch of government subsidies. I'm not going to let that one slide on this show. Yeah, but it doesn't. It, I can show that those subsidies came after his success. Like, for instance, now he's just the darling of the generals and the Air Force because he's the only one that can produce. And people like Boeing have taken millions in government uh, cost plus contracts and haven't even got their stuff out of the, the planning stage. Meanwhile, Musk is actually delivering stuff to space and spacemen. Yep. So he is more efficient with his government handouts, certainly. Go on. No. He started it without it. Then he doesn't uh, need it and should give it back to the people. Well, not when he's doing huge government projects that they have all these requirements for. So you're, you're, you're advocating government handouts for people who produce as only, a libertarian. Only if um, – what was my criteria? Um, the only general to keep welfare, the good of the people? No, no. Only to keep them at bay while he's producing even better stuff. And can make a profit at it. Because that's another thing that was pointed out. How does begging for government handouts keep the government at bay? Well, it, You're it, supposed it, to pay them off. It goes the other way. I'm, I'm thinking that that they eventually, if you've read Heinlein, he's, whenever he, uh, he, he has a, a new rocket or something, the government always wants to take it, take it from him or prevent him from using it. So he just takes it off anyway. Uh, or he... he, he he, he does some type of divisive thing which confuses them, and I think that's what Musk is doing. Okay, I, I, I haven't read all of Heinlein, um, but one of the things that stands out to me for as far as a Heinlein-esque strategy um, is have something small to which you pay your taxes on and then make all your big gains on the back end away from the government eye. So Precisely, like- and you you see that in the moon is a harsh mistress. That's the one. Where Mike is uh, he pays a little bit for electricity, just to just to keep them from the, the authority from wondering why he isn't paying any at all. But right. he doesn't need to. He that's the idea. He keeps them at bay. Right, but but in the book he's not getting government handouts. He's paying taxes. Well, it's the same thing. No, it's More, not. Or- it's the exact opposite. It's it's well, fl- money flowing one direction and money flowing the other direction. That, well, that part's true, but I'm talking about the, its purpose. It's it's to keep them at bay, to to keep them from stopping you from working. It reminds me of 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 uh, another great entrepreneur, and that was that crazy guy that that uh, I always forget his name. He was uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie. That, that, oh, that, Hughes, that, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was accused in the movie of wasting government money. And and here's where, uh, again, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio just had a brilliant comeback, and he, he demonstrated that two or three or five other uh, companies uh, did the same thing. And why are you picking on me? We all, we all tried to make airplanes. Some were good and accepted. Others weren't. And then he demonstrated that he could fly as Spruce Groose. And uh, he he was asked, well, are you an entrepreneur? Are you a government parasite? And he said, well, I keep I, I have to use the government to because that's they're the only way I have to buy them off. I have to buy off politicians in order to move forward. And and so you've got these. I kind of buy that. If you're a big entrepreneur, uh, you you have to in order to stay alive and not be eaten alive by the politicians, you have to buy them off. Yeah, and and again, I'll just reiterate that's money flowing the opposite direction from getting government handouts and grants. Uh, well, or or uh, not, it's in, not an or. When you, oh, when you well, pay saying, someone off, you're not getting money from them. That's not how a payoff works. I understand that, but uh, I, I hope so. A different and more more broader point. You deal with them, okay? In order, in some cases, you make uh, jets for them, or in round. Um, uh, what's his face's case? It was to make fantastic airplanes for him. Um, Lockheed made a lot of great planes. Uh, anyway, I'm getting all confused because I don't understand how we're doing this. 
and why I'm talking so much and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> okay. I'll accept no, it's that. okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, I appreciate because I most push of, back. I appreciate most of the things that Elon Musk did. Um, Not I, how it's funded. Uh, well, I don't know. There's there's two different ways of looking at it. So. He's he's not even like he's not even a real entrepreneur. Most like was the, it in the form of a tax break? In which case, all libertarians want tax breaks, right? Well, a tax break is again different than a handout, right? If you're getting government grants, the government is stealing from one person to give you money to work on your project. Mm -hmm. And I think all libertarians should have a fundamental problem with that, but a lot of them don't when it comes to Elon Musk, and Elon Musk again did not start many of these companies. He bought them from other well, people, well, so what? from real so entrepreneurs. What? He bought them and then he made them work. That's the point. He's, he's not a, a, a great, great scientist. Or, no, he's he a marketer. Great, he's what? He's a marketer. Yes, he yeah. makes them work. He's, an, uh, he's a businessman in the best sense. He's, in, in fact, I think if Rand was still alive, she would be a huge fan. And she would try to differentiate what he's doing from all the other people. He's got us into space. He's got us into buying electric cars, whether we like them or not. And he's, he's making a profit at these things. Yeah. He, I don't think he's, he's got any government money on the, uh, uh, the, the electric cars. He did. That's he was part of the bailout. Where did I didn't well, he, know. He got, a, he got a loan and he, he got a loan and he paid it back early, but, um, from the government. Wasn't a private loan. It was the it was the bailout money from the government, and that's the other thing, right? When it comes to GM and all the other ones, like we'll call it a bailout because the government gave them money and they did not pay it back or did not pay it back on time. But libertarians, yep. when it comes to Elon, we're like, no, it was a loan, not a bailout, because he paid it back. Like he's he is he is excluded from criticism uh, because of his perceived success, and I will challenge that every time. Well, okay, but I have I just I'm, I'm, haven't read about that factor. I'm so I'm totally okay with the criticism, but I, I also have to acknowledge that he's uh, like beyond successful. He's super successful, and and that's yes yeah. to me that's the important part. Like, well, okay, I, well then I don't, don't, be I don't really care. Go be a crony yeah. then, right? If you want to be super successful at that level, it requires being a crony with the government. That's what I'm saying. It requires <laughs> the, the get along part. Well, they hold them at bay part so you can actually re you can produce things. Okay. And I, I find that to be not a principled libertarian position. Well, I find it to be uh, uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I would prefer him to be totally like Hank Reardon and completely and utterly not take one cent from the government. Then let's hold but, him to that. St as libertarians... Let's hold him to that standard. Well, I and I think that he's read around in that area because he's uh, made so many remarks where right. he understands how government can't do anything at all. And I don't think sure. he's ever read von Mises. So send him a book. Right. Uh, that's e an idea. Either, either as read. libertarians, we hold him to that standard or we acknowledge that he's not a libertarian and stop holding it up as a libertarian hero. Oh, I never said he was a libertarian at all. Others ever. do. Pardon me? Others do. Well, I guess I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> They're online. You know, what, you know what, Rothbard, I got a funny thing to say. You know what Rothbard told me once on, on, on one of the first interviews I ever had with him? It was winter in Alaska, and the, the, the moose uh, were <clears throat> continually crossing this freeway near Anchorage, and getting killed by the cars. So the Alaskans built all these underpasses that were very wide and big, big tunnels that went under the freeway. And then they put um, these type of trees and branches that moose love in these things and literally taught the moose to go under. And it worked. It was a big success. And the number of moose killed because, by the way, when they kill moose, it's because they've crashed into a car, and a 1,500-pound moose usually destroys the car, and then he, he's got to be put down. Anyway, so I'm telling Murray Rothbard about this on a talk show I was doing, and, and he said, oh, well, no, those moose, they, they just don't read the signs. 
<laughs> That's what Mary Rothbard said. Here's, I just pulled this up. This is a Yahoo Finance article. I'm not going to read the whole article because we're pressed for time. Um, but a quick quote here. Uh, Musk had quibbles that payments for goods and services aren't government subsidies, but he owes the existence of the company to NASA. This is talking to SpaceX. If the U.S. Space Agency hadn't backed the rocket maker with a critical contract in 2008, the company would likely have failed. I agree. I read that. Yeah. I, I know. He's yes, a crony. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any final thoughts? Good show. Well, I think we'll the, do it again the, next yeah, week. The overall part is that he he did amazing things by doing that. Yeah. He, he succeeded where most everybody else failed. Yeah, and I would say most people would be able to do amazing things if they got extra money stolen from other people to do it with. No, not right? necessarily. That's, that's the Bezos story. That's the Steve Jobs story. That's every billionaire in existence, right? They have a great idea. They have to work with the government. They're beholden to the government. That's the Google story, right? All of these amazing projects needed the government's handouts or help along the way at the expense of legitimate competition who couldn't get it because they were not cronies. Hmm. Well, uh, he also must also advocated quite clearly that the, uh, the, the traditional way, the big, uh, big, uh, uh, national defense agencies that work for them, like GE and Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed and all those, they get, they, they get, they get cost plus contracts. In other words, they can't lose. They get huge subsidies from the government, and if the project is not accepted, well, that's too bad because they—that's cost plus. But 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 on a number of these government things, uh, Musk insisted that it be written on a entrepreneurial basis. We will accept it only if we are. We will we will do this only if our we will do it on our own money. But own and we will accept. The, the government money only if we win the contract. So it gives his in, in, entire organization a tremendous incentive to work like hell on it. And he, he didn't do it with all of his projects, but he said that is the policy we ought to do. Okay. All right. That'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. Okay, I got to dash to um, the lunch thing over the house. Talk to you later. <laughs> so long, thousands. <laughs>